Today's Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, it's on your page. If you have the Pew Bible, it's on um, page 957. But brothers and sisters, when you were orphaned by being separated for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we have made every effort to see you. For we have wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what it is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are, st- uh, you are our glory and joy. So when we stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We thank Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, that when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid in some way the temper had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough in the return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, please um, keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on 1 Thessalonians. Excuse me. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, we've uh, seen from chapter 1 that we uh, uh, should be and we are to be a gospel-centered church. Last week, we saw how the Apostle Paul's ministry is a gospel-centered ministry, And this morning we will see how the gospel binds us together, a gospel-centered bond. Uh, Let me pray for us and let me encourage you, if you've missed those past sermons, to uh, listen to it on the website uh, so that you can be part of our gospel-shaped community. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power of your spirit at work in us. Uh, We pray that our gathering uh, may be gospel-shaped. Uh, that our ministry will be gospel-shaped and the bond we have in Christ will enable us to spur each other on in love and good deeds as we seek to proclaim Christ and the gospel that saves. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, I don't often cry in movies, but this movie made me cry and cry a lot. Uh, It's probably the most heart-wrenching movie I've ever seen and Sean Penn's uh, best performance ever. I don't know if you've ever seen it by 
Uh, but I highly recommend it, especially if you want to have a bit of a cry. Uh, the movie's called I Am Sam. Uh, the film focuses on Sam, uh, played by Sean Penn, an adult with an intellectual disability, uh, possibly a severe case of autism. Uh, but he's well-adjusted. He's got a supportive group of uh, friends who are also disabled in one way or another. Uh, and over seven years, he manages to raise his daughter, Lucy, uh, pretty much all by himself. Uh, all seems well, but then kids at school start bullying Lucy uh, for having an intellectually disabled father. Uh, as Lucy's intellectual maturity surpasses Sam's, uh, social services <clears throat> seek to take her away from his care. Uh, as so Sam engages a lawyer. Uh, they go to court to fight for custody. At the trial, the prosecutor comes down on Sam really, really hard, breaks him down, and the prosecutor essentially convinces Sam on the stand that he's unfit to raise Lucy. Uh, so Lucy's taking into care. She ends up uh, 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 living with foster parents, but she doesn't want to live with them. Even though they're lovely and they're nice, they care for her well, they're very wealthy. She lives in a gorgeous mansion, but she wants to be with her dad. She doesn't want all those things. She wants to be with her dad. She even tries to convince Sam, her father, to help her run away, to kidnap her, as it were. In fact, she's so desperate to be with her dad again that she keeps running from her foster home uh, to be with her dad. One of the most heart-wrenching scenes is when Lucy wakes in the middle of the night, opens a window, climbs down her double-story mansion, and walks down the streets of LA in the middle of the night with only her 90 clutching her teddy bear, walking down the streets of LA to find her dad. The love and bond that Sam and Lucy have is what the, a father and a daughter has, a, a bond that is unbreakable, unbreakable. There's a special bond, isn't there, between a parent and, and a child, a father and a daughter. And that's what we see in today's passage. That's the sort of bond that we see Paul expressed that he has with the Christians in Thessalonica. You might remember from last week, uh, Paul began to defend his ministry uh, to the Christians in Thessalonica. Far from being a charlatan or con man, a false prophet or religious fraud, Paul wanted nothing more than to please God. And that meant preaching the gospel to them, even if it meant severe suffering for the gospel. But the jealous Jews uh, accused Paul from taking from them, wanting money, sexual favors, glory even. But Paul reminds them that he didn't come to do those things, to want those things. He came for the complete opposite reason. He, rather than take from them, he gave to them, like a nursing mother we saw last week. He loved them like a, a caring father. He encouraged them, urging them on to live lives worthy of the gospel. And in today's passage, as Paul continues his defense of his ministry, he continues with this theme of a loving parent for his child. You see, Paul was only in Thessalonica for uh, three weeks, may maybe a few months at most, uh, before being driven out by these jealous Jews uh, and out of the city. It appears that the jealous Jews accused Paul because he was only there for such a short time and left so abruptly that they kept accusing him uh, maliciously of various things, including abandoning them like a con man fleeing after being discovered or a religious fraud running after being exposed. But once again, the accusations don't stack up to scrutiny. The allegations couldn't be further from the truth. 
Uh, we see this in today's passage, which can be broken up into three sections. First, uh, Paul didn't want to leave them. Uh, second, uh, Paul sent Timothy to encourage them. And third, Paul wants to see them again. Uh, so let's have a look at the first section, uh, chapter 2, 17 to 20. Paul didn't want to leave them. So uh, we see, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Uh, you see, Paul uh, uh, is saying that he didn't want to uh, run away and hide. He, he didn't flee because he's been exposed, as it were. But he was orphaned. It's a strong word, isn't it? It's a word that, that basically says that it wasn't his choice. He was taken from them, just as Sam was taken from Lucy. And so it's not surprising that Paul longed to see them again. That they might have been, you see, they might have been out of sight, but they were never out of mind. And so like Lucy, who walked the streets of LA in the middle of the night to see her dad again, Paul made every effort to see his children again. But it didn't happen, not because of lack of will, but we're now told that it was because Satan blocked him. Uh, verse 17 again, uh, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now, we don't know exactly how Satan blocked his way. I, I don't think it was a supernatural cause, like as though every time Paul faced Thessalonica and he started walking that way, he kept hitting into an invisible wall and knocking his head against the wall over and over. I don't think it was a supernatural thing. It might have just been because in Athens or Corinth, because of his ministry was immense and intense, or because he had illness, he just couldn't get away. Or maybe it was just because of the situation in Thessalonica. Because the jealous Jews had already uh, dragged uh, Jason and, and some of the believers to the magistrate, that Paul's life was on the line, uh, that if he stepped foot in Thessalonica again, he might have been arrested. Uh, we, we just don't know how Satan was blocking his way. But what we do know is why Paul so desperately wanted to return to the city to see them again. He tells us now that it's because they are his glory and joy. Uh, notice that in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, I wonder what your glory and joy is. Uh, often, our glory and our joy is ourselves, isn't it? Or, or our children, or, or, or the people we know that we value. Uh, years ago, I was at a friend's wedding. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and my friend, who was a groom, uh, his father got up to give a speech. It was quite different to what you'd expect at a, uh, a wedding. Uh, instead of sharing some uh, funny anecdotes about his son or words of advice for the newlyweds, uh, the father essentially rattled off uh, his son's CV. Uh, from his achievements at Melbourne High to the scholarships and awards he received at uni, uh, from his early success in his career to becoming one of the youngest directors of a big four before he even turned 30 years old. It was clear that his father was very proud of his son. Uh, you might even say that his son was his glory and joy. And that's often the case with us, isn't it? Our glory and our joy are in our achievements. I look at how well I've done. Look at the career I have. Look at the house I live in. Our glory and joy can also be our children. Uh, look, look, look at me or look at my children. Look at what they've achieved. Look how well they're doing in life. 
They're, they're our crown and glory and joy. And in a similar way, Paul's saying that too. He, he's saying that the Christians at Thessalonica are his glory and joy, but for very different reasons. Not because they're climbing the corporate ladder, not because they're making do and running a great business, but because they're going to make it in the next world. It's not because they've made it in this world, but because they will make it in the next world. And so we'll see more of that later. And so since Paul couldn't turn on his phone and uh, scroll to his Facebook app uh, to look up St. Paul's Church in Thessalonica and see what they're doing, how they're going, he sends Timothy to them. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Well, what Paul is saying here is that he is between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, ministry in Athens was tough. He was probably working as a tent maker by night so that he could preach the gospel free of charge by day. He was probably stretched to the limit, exhausted from ministry. Verse 7 even tells us that he was distressed and persecuted. For Athens wasn't just another city. You might remember our study in Acts a couple of months ago. It was the greatest philosophical city of the day. And so Paul had much work to do. And he needed Timothy to help him do that work. But on the other hand, he missed the Thessalonians. He was wondering how they were going. After all, he planted the church and, uh, only to be persecuted. Uh, but Jason and some other believers were also dragged to the magistrates. And so he's wondering, how were these young Christians going? I haven't spent much time with them. I was persecuted. They were persecuted. Did they keep the faith? Did they... Did they continue trusting in Jesus or did they give up on Jesus? Did they return to idol worship? Was our ministry in vain? And so at great cost to himself, he decided that it was more important that the Thessalonian Christians were strengthened and encouraged in their faith than it was for him to have Timothy's ongoing support in his ministry in Athens. Now, have you ever found yourself in that sort of situation? Where you have to make a similar decision that you find yourself between a hard and uh, a rock and a hard place and sometimes you feel well there's no right answer what is the right answer but here we have an example of the right answer and what the right answer might be and the right answer is choosing the harder route the sacrificial route the costly route to yourself for the benefit of others not what is better for me but what is better for the church uh, recently, I caught up with uh, Bishop uh, Paul Bach, and I reminded him of a conversation we had about 20 years ago. At that time, he was vicar of uh, Holy Trinity Doncaster and also a visiting lecturer uh, in Old Testament studies at Ridley College. At that time, in my mind, I was wondering, what, why, why are you ministering as a vicar of a local parish instead of being a full-time lecturer? Because, you know, you've got the mind, you, 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 you've got the background, you, you, you're a scholar, a world-class international scholar. Well, why aren't you teaching Old Testament, lecturing that full-time? Isn't that more strategic? Isn't that better for the gospel? And what he said to me, I've never forgotten. And it was great to have that sort of conversation with him again. Because he said that Old Testament lecturing is strategic, but what is harder and 
what is more difficult and what people are less willing to do is to pastor a church. You see, people would rather lecture and teach the Bible than be a pastor because pastoring is much harder. And so he chose to do what was harder for the gospel. It was an interesting conversation because right now he, he reflected on the situation in our Anglican Diocese now. You, if you receive the bulletin, you will notice that the list of vacant parishes is increasing month on month. The list is so long. I saw it the other day. The list is so long. It now fills two columns. But what Paul Barker said to me is that you couldn't get an Old Testament jo lecturing job in Australia right now. There are just too many people wanting to be a lecturer. Yet you have all these vacant parishes because no one wants to be a pastor. It's too hard. And so the Apostle Paul makes the harder decision. The costly and sacrificial decision, he sends Timothy to Thessalonica at great cost to himself because he would rather see how the young Christians were doing than to get the support he needed to press on with the ministry. And in case they thought that Timothy was just another person, that he was a nobody, that couldn't be further from the truth. He was an, an insignificant sacrifice. He was Paul's lieutenant, his right-hand man, like Hamilton is to George Washington. Verse 2, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. He was a somebody, an important figure in the early church. And what was he going to do? He was to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, we were with you. We kept, uh, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we will be persecuted. Now, how, 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 well, well, when you share the gospel, when you talk to someone about the gospel and you want to see your friend or your family become a Christian, how often is it, are we like Paul, to say, believe in Jesus and suffer for him? You will suffer if you become a Christian, so believe. See, Paul didn't hide behind this idealistic Christianity, this prosperous Christianity, but a, a Christian who would suffer. In verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, I could stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So, so why did Paul send Timothy? Was it to find out about the latest gossip, catch up on the news, see how they were doing and hear what's going on? No. No, 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 that's not why he made that sacrifice. Not that, that's not why he sent Timothy to them. Paul wasn't sending Timothy to find out if Annie's baby had been born or if George is enjoying his retirement. He wasn't sending Timothy to get an update on whether Frank got a promotion or whether Sophie was making new friends at school. Paul wanted to strengthen and encourage them in their faith in verse five, uh, in verse two, and find out about their faith in verse five. You see, what was important to Paul, ultimately, in their lives, was their faith, whether they kept the faith and where they're, whether they're persevering in their faith. Because it's not just enough, you see, to believe in Jesus so many years ago. It's whether you keep believing, whether you keep trusting, even in the midst of persecution and suffering. 
It's persevering faith, faith lived out every day that Paul longs to see in his, in his children, in the Christians in Thessalonica, to find out how they're going, to encourage them to keep persevering. Now, at this point, I think it's helpful for us to reflect on Paul's priorities for his church so that we might reflect on the priorities we have here at church. Now, I want to affirm the importance of uh, chatting and catching up about our health and how our week's been, our jobs and how that's been, our children and how they're going. After all, that's part of doing life, sharing our lives with one another. Paul certainly did that. Paul was certainly interested in these things. But ultimately, that wasn't what was most important. The nitty-gritty everyday happenings of our real lives the coughs and colds, the promotions and rejections, the housework and the exercise, they're all great things to chat about and talk about and do life around. And so let's continue to do those things. But let's do more than that. Let's also keep encouraging each other to keep believing and trusting through hard times and good times. The sorrows and temptations, the lows of lows and the highs of highs, the complication of, of life and the difficult choices we have to make. Let, 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 let's, let's talk about how the gospel feeds into all those decisions and in all those conversations. And, and how might we do that? What might that look like on a Sunday or, or, or over lunch or during the week? Well, it could be as simple as sharing how we've been encouraged or challenged by the sermon or by by the Bible study that we've had on Sundays. We can share about what we've been reading or thinking about during the week. We can speak about our struggles and pray for one another. We can be there for each other to speak the gospel of grace and hope into each other's lives so that we can see that each and every one of us will persevere in faith until the very end, until the day Christ returns, so that we might be for each other our glory and our joy. Well, let's now continue our our passage. What did Timothy, uh, Timothy find? How were the Thessalonian Christians doing? Well, his report about them couldn't have been any better. Not only were they standing firm in the faith, they were missing Paul as well. Verse 6. But Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought about news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Hearing this report from Timothy would have been such an encouragement for Paul. They didn't believe the lies the jealous Jews were spreading about him. They had pleasant memories of him. They didn't let gossip and slander taint the impression of Paul. They longed to see Paul again, just as he longed to see them. And so you can just imagine the relief that Paul had when Timothy returned. They're doing well. They're persevering in faith. They want to see us again. You see, how we're doing, uh, how, how, how they were doing was 100% correlated with how Paul was feeling. 
And until he really knew that they were persevering in faith and they were standing firm in Christ, he couldn't leave. He couldn't leave. Verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Now, it seems quite extreme language, doesn't it? After finding about their faith, Paul says, now we really live. I wonder whether you've ever said that to anyone, to anyone at all, even people in our church. Imagine you coming through the door and people say, oh, to know about your faith, I now really live. That's quite astonishing language, isn't it? Or it feels over the top. Is it, I mean, if anyone said to me, I'd probably give them a weird look. What do you mean? But it just goes to show that Paul has with uh, the, 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 the bond, the deep bond that Paul has with the Thessalonian Christians, that their faith and his well-being is so interest, intrinsically, intrinsically tied that how they're doing in their faith is tied with how he's going with his life. It's the sort of feeling I'm sure the parents of the 12 Thai boys had. You might remember back in 2018. Uh, a team of 12 Thai boys and their coach entered a cave after a soccer, pra- uh, soccer practice session. Shortly afterwards, heavy rain partially flooded the cave. They went further back into the ca- cave to find high ground. The, the, the water blocked their way out. And so the boys ended up being trapped in this cave for 18 days. And for these many days, no one knew whether they would survive. And so over these next 18 days, you can just imagine the, the parents of the boys and the coach they're not going to keep on working as they were and socializing as they were. No, they, they put their whole lives on hold. They, they stopped what they were doing because their priority was their boys. They, they, they would pray and they would hope that their sons would be safe, that by some miracle they might be rescued, alive. You, you see, when you care for someone, and what is important to them, their life. And everything is on the line. You put your life on hold. You don't live your normal life. Business doesn't go on as usual. Because if they are your crown, hope, joy, their livelihood is what matters to you most. And so when the boys were rescued, you could say that the parents could finally really live again. You see, just as the Thai parents leave, their lives were bound with their sons. So Paul's life was bound to the lives of the Christians in Thessalonica, for they were his glory and joy. Not whether they would live this life and enjoy this life, but whether they would have eternal life and live life to the glory of God. Is that what you want for yourself? Is that what you want for your children and those dear to you for your church? That your glory and joy, what matters most to you, is whether you and your family and your spiritual church family have persevering faith in Christ, have eternal life in Christ, 
Is that what your crowning glory and joy is? Now, even though the Thessalonian Christians are standing firm, it doesn't mean they have everything sorted. As we'll see in next week's passage, there's a bit of a change in gear in Paul's letter, as we'll see next week. They need to keep working at pleasing God and loving each other. And so Paul wants to see them again. Verse 10, 9 and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. But he knows that even though he wants to, it's unlikely because Satan's blocking his way, as we've already seen. And so he does the next, next best thing. He writes to them, which is our letter that we're reading, and he prays for them. Verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. We'll see Paul address some of these things in next week's passage. There's a Chinese idiom that you're probably familiar with, and I'm sure it exists in other cultures and languages too, but the translation goes something like this. Blood is thicker than water. Uh, the point is that the bond that binds a family is more important than the bond that binds friendship. But as Christians, we can go further than this, can't we? As we've seen in today's passage, Paul's bond with the Christians in Thessalonica well, was like a parent's bond to a child. Because the bond that binds them isn't the blood of family by birth, but by the blood of Jesus by rebirth. You see, the bond we have as Christian brothers and sisters is even stronger than the bond we have with our natural families, unless they're also Christians. Because what binds us together is the blood of Jesus he has brought us into his family so that we can call his father our father, that we can call the Lord of all creation our brother. This is God's family and our spiritual family in Christ. This is God's church and our eternal family in Christ. You are my family and I am yours because of the gospel and the blood of Christ that was spilt for us. So friends, let's encourage each other and supply what's lacking in each other's faith. Just as Paul so desired for the Thessalonian Christians, that we might all have genuine and persevering faith so that we might be one another's glory and joy. Amen.